0: Well, greetings to you all this morning. Blessings to you. Uh, It's a blessing to be here uh, on this bright, sunny morning. I'm actually uh, less than five minutes away from here, where I live, so it's kind of nice to have a short drive into to this uh, to service this morning. But um, I'm so excited about this passage, especially because when I looked at this summer of preaching, and I looked at you know Mike kind of laying out where you know he wanted us to kind of insert ourselves. I saw this on the schedule and I thought, you know, it would be awesome if I could get this. You know, this one passage from Psalm 115, because it is by far my favorite psalm. Because I love the verse when it starts right off away. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory. And I love that because I need to be reminded that on a daily basis. Because I don't know if you are like me, and it's the little confessional moment since we're getting to know one another. I like to get praise. Anybody else like that? You like to receive praise. You like to hear that things are going well. You like to know that you're doing things well. All right? That's one of my huge, huge weaknesses. But at the same time, I love that God, through the psalm writer right here, reminds us to start off right away in this verse. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all glory, honor, and praise. Because I don't think that's a bad thing to be reminded of once in a while. That God is the one who's deserving of our glory. God is deserving of our praise. We sing about it every single weekend. We sing their songs. Uh, Whether you're paying attention or not to what the words are actually saying, they are rooted in this idea of, God, you are glory and we are not. God, you are awesome and we're not. And that's not to say we're not uh, special, because God, all throughout the Psalms, talks about who we are as well. That we are his, his chosen creation. We're fearfully, wonderfully made. He made us a little lower than the angels. And yet in all of that, God still reminds us that he is and we are not. So everybody say that once with me this morning. Say he is and we are not. Here we go. He is and we are not. Now for many of you who are probably the center of your own universe, that's a tough phrase to say. Are you with me on that? That he is and we are not? Because let's face it, it's not an easy word. Glory is not a word that we use on a regular basis. In fact, I would challenge you all tomorrow when you go to work or school, wherever you are, try and insert the word glory into a sentence five different times. Are you with me? I mean, it's, just, it's not a word that we use. And you want to know why that is, I believe? Because there are certain words I think God reserves just for himself, that I think God wants us to use just to describe who he is. Now, not, not to say that you know, there isn't a great use for the word glory in the world today, but most often when we hear the word glory shared, it's in reference to God. It's a big word even, even though it's five letters long, it's a big word when it comes to describing something because it has a lot of power. When you say something has glory, that means that there's something very special about it. But I think it's kind of foreign to us in some ways and how to give this, you know, God glory. We say the word glory and it becomes one of those church words that we say that maybe many of us don't even realize what it is when we say it. Or why it is that we say it. Sometimes, have you ever been that way before where you've been in prayer time with God and you say the same thing, you've got that same pattern of prayer that you say? And you might say some things and you, and you like, well, maybe right now I don't really mean what I'm saying, but it's just the word that I'm supposed to say. Glory can be one of those words. We just throw on, glory be to God. We'll say that and kind of flippantly even sometimes and say, glory be to you. But what does that really, truly mean? Have we reduced it to just a word, just a phrase? In our Christian walk, and our Christian faith. And I want to challenge us a bit this morning as we dig into this idea of not to us, but to your name, be all glory and honor and praise, that it is more than just a word, more than just a phrase, more than just something we throw out as church speak for who God is. But I think we have to kind of go back even to the beginning when Moses and his friends were leaving Egypt and walking around through the wilderness for all this time. God and Moses had a lot of great conversations. And Moses was the one that God was speaking to, and Moses would then relay God's words back to the people. But yet there came a time where Moses, I think finally, very boldly, as he was able to do in his walk with God at this point, finally asked God a question to try and understand more about who God was. It wasn't that he didn't fear God. It wasn't that he didn't necessarily have a huge and deep relationship with God. Just like this. If you've been in conversation with somebody, let's say, like, chatting with somebody online, like with my students. You know, if I were to chat online with them all the time, but never had that face-to-face contact with them, that's not really a relationship. That's just kind of this idea of just talk. Well, Moses was finally ready to say, okay, God, I love the talking, but I really want to see you now. I want to see my God so that I can understand more fully who you are. And so here's what he asks very boldly in, verse 30, in uh, chapter 33 of Exodus, verse 18. We're going to grab about five verses here if you want to turn there. Moses said to God, show me your glorious presence. In essence, he's saying, God, show me your face. I want to see you. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh. Before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face for no one may see me and live. All right, we've gone past warm and fuzzy, haven't we? We've gone past church phrase for a moment. God is saying you cannot see my glory and live. This is the bigness, the massiveness of God that we need to take hold of this morning if we're going to truly understand what it means to give Him glory. We've got to understand that God, once again, is big. Now, as John said, my primary, my primary job out of Hope is to work with children and students. And so I'm in this culture quite a bit. And one of the phrases that I hear a lot from different youth pastors and people is that Jesus is your best friend. And we want you know Jesus to be your best friend because that's a great way to understand relationship with God. You know, it's that introduction that you can talk to God like He's your friend, like He's your you know, your, your BFF, as they would say on, you know, Chatland. Like, we want God to be that tangible for a student. But I think that reduces God almost too much to the bigness of who he really is. He can't just be your best friend and be able to say something like this at the same time without being massive. We need to once again understand that God is more than just a friend. In fact, if you heard Mike's message last weekend, when he talks about this fear of God, one of the definitions being terror. There's a sense that I think we need to get a holy terror for God again to understand what it means to give him glory. And I don't think this is an unhealthy fear. I think this is a healthy fear that we have a God that can move mountains, that can part waters, that can calm seas. I like having a God like that in my lifetime because I trust or I I have to trust in that God a lot, especially in the course of my life when I've walked through some some tough stuff with my youngest son who was born with a throat condition. We've had some real stormy seas in our family. And I've had to trust in the bigness of who God is. And in the end of it, after you've come through something like that, it's really easy, I think, to understand how to give God glory, honor, and praise. But we have to give God back his rightful position of being big to understand what does it mean? God, not to us, but to your name, goes all glory, honor, and praise. Well, let's face it, and let's be honest once again. We are glory hounds. We like to receive glory. It's not that we don't understand the word glory. We don't know how to you know, give it out even necessarily to people because we ourselves love to get glory. I remember when I was just out of college, I played tennis. I know it, you know, it doesn't look like it now in this felt body you see before you, but I was a pretty good t- college tennis player and we played in the Iowa games one summer, my doubles partner and I, and we had not ever won. And we tried really hard this summer. We practiced actually, which is something we never, ever really did. And we went into the Iowa games, I think the most ready we ever had been. And we got through our, our rounds, we beat five different teams, and finally got the gold medal at the Iowa Games. I mean, the pinnacle of tennis, right? And we thought, okay, this has got to be the coolest thing ever. We, we'd never been on the medal stand before. I mean, we'd, they don't really invite the second and third place teams up for the medal ceremony. We'd never even seen the medal ceremony before. So we were actually really excited to finally be a part of the medal ceremony. And so we got done, and they brought out this really horrible wooden box thing. That had a one on it. And they had a stand-up on this, my partner and I. And the only other person there besides the tournament director was my doubles partner's mother, Ellie, to take pictures of us. And I stood up there, and we got this wonderful medal with a blue ribbon, and it was in the shape of the state of Iowa that year, which was really cool. And they brought out, and I'm not that old, but they brought out a tape recorder that had the five buttons across the front. Remember those? And pressed play, and out came this horribly canned version of the Star Spangled Banner. And I remember thinking to myself, this is it? I mean, after all of these, you know, it was two days of 100 degree temperature, sweaty. I mean, you you had to peel the shirt off of you when you were done because it was that bad outside. And this was what I got for my achievements was a medal that's now in a box in my basement of my house. What is glory to us? Very fleeting. Our earthly understanding of it is very fleeting. So why is it hard for us to understand or to think about the fact that it's hard to give it away? Because we think, you know, well, if we have to earn it, then somebody else has to rightfully earn glory, honor, and praise from us, right? They have to do something in order to earn that. And we have a horrible picture even of that sometimes. We know people in our lives that have have been given glory and honor and praise that didn't deserve it necessarily. You know, we have those moments where you do all the work and they get all the praise. That's a phrase I hear a lot from people in corporate world. I do all the work and and so-and-so gets all the praise. And so we just get this really horrible picture of what it means to give glory to somebody. We sit back most often and go, this is not fair. Somebody has to earn that right in our lifetime to receive that glory. They have to have done something. In fact, if you look at the way that even the celebrity world portrays glory, it's even out of whack. I mean, look at the people who are receiving the most praise in the world today, especially with this, this idea of reality TV. These are people that are that are giving getting, I think, a false sense of glory just because they've been put in front of a camera or they've had this this one moment in their life where something has happened, now all of a sudden we look to them. And there's magazines devoted to things like this. And I don't don't know if you're like me, but I I can't look at one more people magazine and think, well, who are these people? This is not, I don't think, where glory should be. And yet what do we hear most often for the last three months about Michael Jackson? Now he's going to be buried next week, finally. That's all we can hear about in the world, is this false sense of glory. Is there ever a need, have you ever thought, even more so than right now, for God's glory to reign back into this world and say, no, look at who I am. Look at what I can do. I am deserving of glory, honor, and praise. Because here's the truth of it. God's glory is being announced to us everywhere if we just stop to pay attention and look for it. In fact, the picture you're going to see here in a moment is a picture of a beachfront that was taken by some of our students when we went to Panama City, Florida last month, and is, I, I tell you, I love cameras nowadays. I mean, this is taken by a 16-year-old gal in our ministry. But it's, if you looked at it, you'd think it was taken by a professional photographer. It's awesome, of the sunset over Panama City Beach. And it's hard when you're standing on a beach not to see and recognize how big God is. When you look out at the ocean, and I know they say it's the bay, it's the gulf, but you know, isn't it all one big piece of water? I mean, is, like, Do you cross a line all of a sudden and say, okay, now we're actually in the ocean? I don't get that. I just see a lot of water. And I look at it, and I think, this is unreal. We'd wade out in here, and you just would feel the waves come in on you. We had a great summer for waves. You actually had some waves that were much above our heads, which was a different thing for us, for us Iowans, to experience. And so we sat there, and, and the kids were just in awe of this. It's easy to see God when you're standing in the face of something that He has made, that massive. It's easy to sense that presence of God or when you've gone to the mountains before and you've, you've been at the foothills as you drive into Colorado and you see them start to appear on the horizon. That's an easy way to find God in his glory, isn't it? But look around us here in Des Moines, Iowa. We've got a couple of buildings and a river and not much else. You know, it's not like we have this amazing, awesome, overwhelming sense of creation around us to remind us of who God is. But yet Jesus, as he was coming into Jerusalem in what we understand to be Holy Week, as he was riding in uh, on the colt or the donkey, as you will, and the people were praising and shouting out his name, there are some people that are on the side looking in on Jesus and looking for ways to get him and ways to, to basically trip him up, said, teacher, tell your people to be silent. And what Jesus said was, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out my name. The very stones would cry out my name. Jesus was reminding us, even now, that creation is at work, even in us. That even the stones around us are a testament to who God is. In fact, one of the most beautiful stones you can ever see is an Iowa stone. It's called a geode, if you've ever had a chance to see one before. When you crack it open, it looks like a horribly ugly rock on the outside. But when you pop it open, you look in the inside of it, it is unbelievable, the different facets of the crystals and things like that. It just sparkles. God is, I think, so much so showing off in what he can do in his creation. We don't have to look very far. In fact, I don't have to look very much further than my own children to see God at work. And to see God praising and God just demonstrating his glory in my life. But why is it that God has to announce it? Why is it that we have to think that we have to find it somewhere? I remember thinking with my students, they say every year when we go to Panama City, well, I just can't wait to get back there again. And I say, you know, God's not just in Florida. He's back here too. We shouldn't have to go 2,000 miles away to a beach to remind ourselves of who God is and and for a reason to give him glory, honor, and praise, as the psalmist is reminding us this morning. But I think most of it's just because we've lost the truth of who he is. We've reduced God into somebody that we just experience for an hour a week. And then the rest of the week, we kind of go back to our own glory ways. We go back to our own places where we say, you know, God, it's about me. I'm going to give you the hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes on Sundays, and then for the rest of the week, I'm going to work on me and figure out where I am and who I am and, and do that. And it's not like it's, it's in our regular, everyday activities where we give glory and honor and praise. And maybe that's not you. Maybe you're in a walk where you're in a daily quiet time and you're, and you're doing those things. Keep after that. Because unfortunately, I work with a lot more people that don't have that habit in their lifetime and then they wonder where is God and they ask questions God in fact the Psalms perfect literature for giving us the language to say to God where are you what's going on God why don't I see you why does it feel like you are distant from me if God isn't a part of our daily everyday experience it's going to be hard to understand the truth and the bigness of who he is and so then I think we have to remind ourselves that God you are the Savior of the world. This is a picture, too, from Panama City of a cross that was just stuck right in the middle of the beach. And this is a beach that if you were to walk not even a quarter mile to the east, you'd be at Club La Vela, which is the big spring break hotspot of all things. And and here we are just a quarter mile down the beach and there's a cross sitting right in the middle of it. If there's ever a reminder or a picture of what truth is and, and who God is, You don't have to look very far. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better picture than to see a cross, beach, ocean, sunset. It was unbelievable. As a people of God, we need to reclaim that truth again of who he is in order to understand what it means then to give him glory and honor and praise and then unleash it a little bit more in our lives. To unleash it, to give God a little bit more of who we are. Because if there's one thing I also love to do as a part of who I am and and what I do at Hope is is to be a part of worship stuff. And it's been a big passion of mine for years. And so it's not, you know, unlikely to think that when it comes to worship, I'm a person that loves to have it come out of the wellspring of who I am, not just because of something I do. And so I'm always, when I'm leading worship, whether it's, you know, anywhere I go, I always challenge the people, you know, where are you at with your worship right now? I want to ask a critical question even of us this morning. And you guys, I tell you, this was fantastic. Just time of praise with God in music this morning. What a blessing it is to have the musicians and the different qualities. It's, it's so refreshing. What a blessing they are. But if there's one thing you'd ask Paul or any of the other musicians, it's not about them either. They don't do this because they're getting paid huge amounts of, of money. And if they are, I'd love to hear about it. I'm just kidding. But that's the truth. We do this because God has done something in us and he, we want to give that back to Him. When I lead music, often you know, people think I'm kind of goofy because they'll find me smiling or doing something. They'll think, well, why, why are you doing that all the time? Because so I get absolute joy from it. I actually get more terror in preaching and you know, thinking about this to, to you all than I do in leading worship to 12,000 people at Wells Fargo. Because when I'm in that music element... I just, I just feel God's pleasure and I just think this is awesome. So it's not hard for me, but I want to kind of give you all a bit of a picture of that this morning to help you understand, because not all of you in here are musicians. Not all of you play guitars. Not all of you have, you know, been in the choir. Many of you might even say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tone deaf. I can't sing at all. So, you know, the music part of it, you kind of just check out. You think, well, you know, I'll catch up when it comes to the word and it comes to the other parts, you know, cause the music part, that's just not me. That's not where I'm at. Is it truly? Is that an honest assessment? Because if there's anything that I've noticed when I read scripture, especially in the Psalms, all of them, they are songs. These were words written to sing to God. There are really two languages that God gives us to talk to him. That's in prayer and in song. Two ways that we can give God back. And there's nowhere in here, trust me, that I've ever seen where God says, Make a beautiful, awesome-sounding, all-in-tune noise for me. I want to give you all a little bit of of a, a great relief in God's word this morning. All it says is make a joyful noise. And if you've ever been a part of noise before, and I have three boys right now, and we're in the car, all I'm hearing nonstop are the VBS songs over and over and over and over again. It's the most joyful noise you'd ever want to be a part of. And all, you know, my boys are in the back and they're singing and, and Luke can somewhat sing in tune. I have Luke as my oldest of the twin boys that are four and a half. Noah, not as much of a singer. And well, obviously Seth at six months, he's, he just kind of goes, uh, it's kind of his sound. Noise is a beautiful thing. But I guess I'm, 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 I'm asking you, if that's you, or if, if you're at this place where like, gosh, I don't know if I understand this idea of music. What does this mean to give God glory, honor, and praise through this? What's holding you back from allowing God just to pour that out of you? Because I'll throw another general challenge at you this morning. I think music is a huge part of your life, whether you want to admit it or not. How many of you, in fact, it may not be a stretch in here, have an iPod or know somebody that has an iPod? Oh my goodness, or an MP3, um, MP3 player, you know, for those of you that aren't you know, Apple apologists. Music and, and life, I mean, there's, it's an expression of who we are and ultimately who he is. One of the things that I love to ask our students when we go on trips is I see them with their, their earbuds in and they're listening. I like to stop them and say, what are you listening to right now? Because I'm always curious to see what it is that's most influencing them. We did a survey last year of all of our junior high students and asked them, I was over 400 students, who are your favorite bands right now? And I want to shock you right now with who their number one was. Because you would think it'd be like Miley Cyrus or Taylor Swift or you know, the Jonas Brothers. And they were up there. But the top vote getting banned of all ACDC. And I, I looked at that. I'm like, I, I kept looking at the surveys. Again, I'd put the little check marks next to ACDC. It's Guitar Hero. It is completely guitar hero. It's brought classic rock back to this generation. I see kids that are singing lyrics to songs that were written 10, 15, 20 years before they were born. And I'm thinking, who are you? You shouldn't even know who Aerosmith is. And yet we are so influenced by music. And when that song comes on in our life that we know, we belt it out, don't we? Whether we like to sing or not, we belt out that song. My wife is an 80s lover. Loves the 80s music and, and oh my goodness sakes, uh, I, ugh, I can only go to certain places with this. But my wife knows almost every lyric to every 80s song ever written. And I just skip over the 80s. I went right to the 90s. I, the 80s were just a dark time for music in my life. Except for Van Halen in around 1984. That was a good time. But music is a huge part of who we are. And a huge expression of who we are. So it's no wonder that God wants to use that to basically call out his praise, to call out who he is. And there's no other better place than to look in the Psalms. Because if you've been paying attention, if you've been reading the scripture through the summer, through the Psalms, or if you've read them over your lifetime and you've seen places, at least I have, as I've, as I've read through them, all of a sudden I'll catch a phrase in a psalm or a verse, and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I know that. That sounds familiar. And you're like, okay, that's a song. And it'll bring back a song and all of a sudden you'll start singing the song. God has given us the language to give him praise if we just take an honest look at it. So maybe it's just time to let go of it and to let God work through these songs to give us a language to share his praise. And so I want to do something with you this morning that might be a little bit daring, a little bit out there, but I want to walk you through a few of my favorite songs that come right out of the Psalms, that may or may not be familiar to you, but yet I think what they say in this time is, God, you are amazing. And there's a language in them. And there's another thing about songs that I absolutely love, is if you actually stop to read the words, to understand what we're saying, it can bring even more beauty to it. There's one thing that just gets my interest more than anything in the world, the people that come in and they they sing, and you just find them kind of just going through it. And I'm just like... I wish I could just stand behind, beside everybody and say, do you know what you just sung? What you're saying? Because if you actually understood what you just sung or what you're saying, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you read that, everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's hard to, to hear that phrase and go, let everything that, everything that has breath praise the Lord. I mean, just, it's hard when we understand the bigness of God to not let that jump and cry out. I had a friend of mine, his name is Bill. Still is Bill, actually. And he was a guy that absolutely could not hold a tune at all. And we'd be at camp and worked, you know together in the summer for you know, a couple years at Riverside. And here's the thing about Bill. No matter what, if a song was on, he sung really, really loud. And it was really, really annoying. Because it was nowhere near the right tune. It was nowhere near the melody. It was just the words with sound. And I one time said, Bill, Bill, seriously, why are you so loud? I don't care. That's what his response was to me. I just love to make noise. In fact, one of our other friends from camp used to say, if you can't sing in tune, then just sing real loud. And in truth, is there no better way than to allow God to just scream out of us than through song? So can we try a little bit of that this morning and give God some praise through some Song of the Psalms? Is that, am, I, am I taking this, uh, too much of a leap of faith here with you, City Branch? Are we good to go? I figure we can. And there's something about a psalm coming out of a Martin guitar that makes things even better. What a beautiful machine you got here. I'm going to read some of the psalms as we go through this. Psalm 8 says this. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. When I hear this, I think that, okay, God, your majestic name fills the earth. Imagine that this earth is not exactly small, if you haven't gathered that yet. When we say, God, your name fills the earth. I mean, it's, it's hard enough just to fill a glass of water. Just think about the name filling the earth. And we sing this out to God Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic
1: is your name in all the earth. Try and sing it with me our Lord, how majestic is your name in all dear, cause the heavens declare your greatness, the oceans cry out to you, the mountains they bow down before you, so I'll join with the earth and I'll give my praise to you,
0: hear it now a little bit, and the language is there, Oh, uh, join with the earth. And I'm going to give my praise to you, God, because you're worthy of that. Fast forward in the Psalms a bit, and there's too many to share this morning. So I just grabbed a few. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. It's the most popular, I think, Psalm. I mean, if you have a funeral, you're going to see Psalm 23, nine times out of ten. But I don't think it should be reserved just for funerals. And it's not this, you know, dull, dreary, oh my goodness, morning song. There's beauty in this, especially if you hear just these words from Psalm 23. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. If you've ever been in a dark place before, I mean, there's no better time than to reach out to who God is. This song might be a little bit less familiar, but um, let me kind of lead you through a little bit. The chorus part is what we'll grab to. Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of
1: God, Perfect love is casting out fear And even when I'm caught In the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near And I will fear no evil For my God is with If my God is with Here's the truth now Whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? As we're singing Oh no, you never let go Through the calm, through the storm Oh no, you never let go In every high and every low Oh no, you never let go Lord, you never let go
0: We have a God that doesn't let go of us in our darkest moments because otherwise we would be sunk. Here's the language right here. I won't do the whole thing, but there's a Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. Oh. And renew a right spirit within me. I mean, oh, one of my old time favorites. That, that takes me back to junior high confirmation class, so I don't want to have some teary memories with you there for a moment. Fast forward, Psalm eighty four, my second favorite of all. And this needs a little bit of a background to it. Because the Levites, the tribe of the twelve tribes of Israel that were responsible for the temple, basically uh, had jobs within the temple, and one of the jobs that was on the lowest end of the totem pole was to be the gatekeeper at the entrance to the temple. I mean, if you got that job you were either very new or you drew the short straw or you're in trouble of some sort within the tribe. And yet, the psalmist, when they wrote this, Psalm 84, was reminding us that it's better to be... Listen, this a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. What they were saying was, I'd rather be right there, God. Even at the entrance to the temple, not even being in the place and to live a thousand days elsewhere. But think about this. This was written before the hope of Jesus Christ, before Jesus came in and tore the veil and opened up the Holy of Holies for us to behold God in the place where he dwelt. And so we get a chance to enter into the temple every single week. And we'll just sing just the chorus
1: of this. one day in your chorus
0: Hold on to and keep. When we were down in Florida, and then we're going to close with this, and I want you to sing this next one out, my favorite of all favorites, with a loud gusto. But it's always amazing to me. I take a group of students. This year's thirty-seven, and many of them had not been in and experienced worship with fifteen hundred other students in a place like that. And I know we say that God does not just dwell in Florida; He dwells here as well. But there's something special about putting a group of students immersed in and amongst their peers in a place where you can't, they can't escape to confront God. And I remember watching them even on the first night, the ones that had been there before and when worship started, they were just like, oh, they were jazzed up. And the ones who had not been there before were like, what did I just get myself into? But then by the end of the week, all of them, it was like herding sheep, you know, or actually herding cats because you could not stop them or prevent them from rushing past me and going to the front and jumping up and down. And I know we often say, well, that's not me. You know, I'm not 16, 15 years old where I can go and jump around and give God praise, raise hands. I'm not saying that that's the style of worship that God desires. Please don't mishear me on this. But what I did see in them was an unleashed passion that said, you know, I don't care what people around me think. I'm just going to give God praise. I want to give you a little freedom. I want you to rise up with me right now and stand up a little bit. Because... Like I said, I don't expect you to be jumping around and raising hands. That, that's, there's also the sense that sometimes you can manufacture praise a bit too much and then it becomes less you know, authentic. But yeah, what does it mean to maybe just open ourselves up a little bit and just sing from our hearts that God, not to us but to your name, goes all glory and honor and praise. And then there's this bridge part in the, in the song, Not To Us, that just talks about it. You know, this idea of just letting go and letting God do things. So if you would indulge me this morning if we can give this to him, not to me, but to him this morning of a a chorus of not to us, we'll round this home in our praise of him this morning and then move on to some offering fun. Let's just sing this out. Not to us, but to your name
1: be the glory. your children dancing 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 it's all for you it's all for you sing out just the words they won't be on the screen all glory honor and praise here we go sing all glory and honor and praise again All glory and honor and praise Be to you, Lord All glory and honor and praise All glory and honor and praise All glory and honor and praise We're singing now, we're singing Not to us, but to your name Be the glory but Not to us, but to your name the glory Lord not to us but to your name be the glory not to us but to
0: your name be the glory not to us oh Lord but to your name goes all glory and honor and praise last thing just a note to that song I got to ask the songwriter one time Chris Tomlin about it. I had a moment where he and I were kind of alone off to a side and I just kind of was joking with him. And, you know, I just said, you know, Chris, why are your songs so high? I mean, he's a, he's a tenor, the, the guy that wrote this song. And actually that's not even in the original key of the song. I said, why are these songs so high, Chris? Because we always have to change the keys so people can sing them. He said, well, I wrote them high on purpose because it's pretty hard to sing high and not sing loud. And I want people when they sing these songs to shout to God. So sometimes, especially when a song gets a little high for you, once again, remind yourselves. It's not a joyful, beautiful noise. It's a joyful, loud noise. That God deserves glory and honor and praise. Amen.